Welcome to our first ever uh, Preacher's Corner podcast. My name is Abraham Gomez. I am joined by uh, Reverend Josh Herrera. He is the executive pastor at Lighthouse Church. You can find them on Instagram at GoToLighthouse. He serves under the leadership of Pastor Sam Mascareño. He went to CLC Bible College in Stockton, California, and at one time served as a Southern California District Youth President and was also the Southern California District uh, Choir Director. He is a, a triathlete and a coach at South Bay Multisport. You can also find him on Instagram at SB Multisport. He's married with raising three young boys, and as he prefers to them, some young lions. And I'm pleased to have uh, Executive Pastor with us, Josh Herrera. Thank you, Abraham. It's a pleasure to be here, man. Appreciate it. A good golf, little golf clap for you here. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> Thank for being you here. For I'm honored for you, for you to be here. And uh, we're just going to talk about a few things. We're just going to talk about um, how to help others, to inspire others, um, encourage. I think that's very important, especially in this in this political climate and in, in this um, era, this culture. There's just a lot of things that can distract us from trying to serve God with all our hearts. And I yeah. think it's important that um, um, there's a, a media, there's an avenue to reach somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Not everybody goes to church. Right. You know, there's a lot of e-church now. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you have a lot of e-church members. Yeah. And I think it's important that that we find a way to reach others yeah. and expand the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. You're quite the coffee connoisseur. <laughs> yeah. I see that you roast your own your own beans. I do. You brew your own coffee and serve them at at team meetings. Yeah. I think that alone might make me want to become a <laughs> member of of Lighthouse Church. Yeah. In fact, I recently discovered cold brew. Yeah. Never had cold brew before. Oh, you were missing out. And now it's like a whole new world for me. <laughs> so tell me about roasting your own beans and how you got into that kind of stuff. Because I think I might come back on Sunday just to have your coffee. Yeah, you got to do that. Hey, so it's a funny story, but basically my father worked in this corporate job that demanded crazy hours. And so my dad drank a lot of coffee. And um, then that just went down to myself, my brothers. We all just started drinking a lot of coffee because I think my dad drank a lot of coffee. But um, I would say that I just ventured more into coffee. I I wanted to understand coffee a little more. And um, I just started trying different things with coffee, how to prepare coffee. And uh, believe it or not, I actually wanted to further my interest in coffee and went to a one-week program on making coffee, espresso drinks, um, and learned how to roast coffee online. Everything's on YouTube now. So I, I learned how to do that online. And uh, one of the things that I'd like to do with that, and I, and I just love doing it. If you come to my house, it's just so much fun for me. I think other people think I'm a little obsessive about it. Um, I've been labeled a coffee snob at times, but um, I enjoy it. And uh, down the road, my wife and I hope to actually open up our own coffee shop. So that's something down the road, but when God opens those doors, we'd love to do it. That's awesome. Have you thought about a name yet for yeah, your coffee? Do yeah, you want- but I can't save the name yet oh. because we haven't yet opened oh, our oh. shop. <laughs> All right, you let me know when that thing opens up, and I will I will be one of the first customers there. Thank um, you. I know you'll have uh, you'll you. have some good uh, some good choices. Um, I, yeah. I'm actually now uh, I, Americanos. Yeah, I, I am. That's all I drink now, and yeah. I'm just like, what I've been doing the whole, my whole life. You know, finally <laughs> when I discovered Americanos, I'm like, that's that's all I do. And I know 
you, you do it on your own. You, you do it at home. So there's nothing like homemade coffee. Right, right. So right now I just, I'm, I'm venturing out, you uh -huh. know, getting out of Starbucks and, and better buzz and just trying to get a little more, uh, <laughs> get a little more, uh, in increasing my palate a little, a little bit with the Americano. So one day, whenever you want to make Americanos, you can always invite me over All right. and I am willing to, uh, Hey, to drink as much coffee as I can handle. We'll do it. We'll do awesome. It. So you gave me some coaching tips when I ran my first uh, half marathon. Yeah. And the first thing you told me was you sh to run different intervals. Mm -hmm. And you told me to do hills. So let me tell you a little story about that. So, okay. So I took uh, Pastor Josh's advice. I woke up at 530 in the morning and I'm going to run hills. I, I live down the corner of a house and have a steep hill. I ran my first hill and I was I felt, uh, felt okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this again. Sec, full speed ahead, just like you told me. As I ran up that hill, I, I literally was, I dragged myself home. I was about to pass out. My blood sugar level just drops. And yes. I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I should have listened to Pastor Josh because I, I felt like I was going to gonna die. Um, but nevertheless, you, you, you gave me some tips, and it really helped me in, in my training. This is the first, first time I ran a half marathon, and um, I um, – I challenged myself and I reached out to different people. So I want to say thank you for, for um, uh, helping me out with just, you know, the small tips. But you're on a different level, bro. <laughs> different level. You're, you're, you're a triathlete. Yeah. So whole different level. How did you get into being a tri uh, triathlete? And I know that you coach at South Bay Multisport. Yeah. How do you find the time to be a coach, to be a triathlete, to be a pastor, to be a husband, to be a father? Well, let, let me say this. Um, I don't feel like I had a model to follow. And, um, you know, I started preaching at a young age, started doing ministry at a young age. And there was just this preconceived notion in my mind as to what that was going to look like. And um, athletics and competition just did not feel like it fit that pocket. I felt like it's not anything that I observed some of my mentors doing. But I have a very competitive nature that's not necessarily a good thing, especially when that competitive nature begins to cause you to have uh, a competitive mindset when it comes to church. If I can be 100% transparent, you know, we would do something and I'd try to compare what we did with what another church did. And that's not healthy. And that's not Christ-like. And um, so I, I am wired to be competitive and I found an outlet for that competitive nature in endurance sports. And, and I don't mean to over-spiritualize it, but I do feel like in a way God was saying that competitive nature is how I wired you, but go and do it this way. And don't go and do it with comparing ministries, comparing results, comparing churches. And I, I'm probably speaking to people that are going through that or have been through that. You've got a lens towards what other people are doing. And so the truth is I got into this whole uh, triathlon thing because of my competitive nature. And I found that to be a way to have that outlet because believe it or not, it's, it's super competitive with age group and you can compete on a national level and you can qualify at local races and go and race internationally if you want to do any of that. And so to me, it was an answer to feed that competitive nature that I had. But then in addition to that, I was 
obese. My doctor told me I need to make some changes. I started running. I got a bike on Craigslist. Someone told me, go do a triathlon. Decided to sign up three weeks before a race and go out and do it. I finished probably fourth to last, but it really, um, and again, being competitive, I was like, that's not going to do. So I raced another race, another race. And, you know, it's just kind of taken off from there. And um, a few years ago, I decided to race the big race, which is called the Ironman. And for those that don't know, it's a 140 mile race and yeah yeah i signed up for that there's about 50 people in my community that went to go and do that because i I found a community outside of church of other athletes and um it was an awesome opportunity to connect with them and also tell them about christ which they all know me as pastor josh or rev herrera um so it gave me an actual great lens to have another community to preach jesus to um but anyway we were all going to go do this big race and everyone hired a coach but me i I self-coached but by self-coaching, I mean, I, I didn't just, um, you know, just think things through and uh, come up with what I thought might be some ideas for success. I studied, I read, I was purchasing books, I was reading books, and I ended up self-coaching myself to a, a really decent time for my first time ever at this race. And um, from there, I decided to just help some people. So I started helping coaching some people afterward, after that, and that's how that started. Wow. So you redirected your competitiveness into um, uh, helping yourself, not only because you were, you said you were obese, mm-hmm. and you you took this to a whole different level. Yeah. You not only started helping yourself, but now you're coaching and helping others to reach their goals and to reach their you know their dreams. Yeah. And that's kind of a a, a microcosm of what a pastor does yeah. you know you we help ourselves we got to feed ourselves we got to feed our souls and and we get to a place where now we can we can help others to help them reach their goals reach their their ministries to develop their gifts that that's that's awesome that's an inspiration in fact you you know watching you on uh, social media that was an inspiration for me because i was uh, i was the doctor told me i was pre-diabetic mm. my cholesterol level was high i was 32 years old and wow. my cholesterol level was super high i was not eating good you know f- high sodium you know a lot of fatty foods a lot of fried foods and you know this is not a health health show but it, i think it's important also that if we want to serve the kingdom of god we we got to be around to serve the kingdom of god absolutely and i remember one day i walked up the stairs to my house and i was winded bro mm. i was winded and, and that day i said no more yeah and that's when i just Nobody told me to run a, tri- a, a triathlon, you know. <laughs> I, that would be the first thing from my mind. The first thing I did a 5K, and then I started doing a, yeah. a, a 10K, and then I started watching what I ate. Um, I started putting the time into exercise, and I i mean, you look good, bro. You look trim. You look fit. <laughs> Thanks. You know, and you've you have put in the time, you know, that the evidence speaks for itself. You put the time in, you know, and so, you know, I lost 30 pounds. I don't know how how much you lost, but you know, I I lost 30 yeah. pounds, and I I'm not embarrassed to that's say that. That's amazing, and I feel great. Yeah. I, can, I can pick the clothes that I want to wear. <laughs> that's good. Uh, but one thing I did notice about all that training, um, putting that time in, eating right, is that you became disciplined. Not only what you put in your body, you you you're on a schedule of of, of your training, but also that transferred to other parts of your life. Oh yeah, because now you become disciplined in in and what you eat spiritually, mm-hmm. who you allow in your space, um, what you do with your time, and that small decision just of of of, of changing um, just a little bit of my life has completely transformed my life. Yeah, and now we're at I would have never 
been here, you know, interviewing Rev Herrera today, had it not been for just God just began to drop things in my life that, hey, you need to change. You need yeah. to work. Nobody told me. Nobody, you know, preached to me. It was just something internally that I think God was saying, like, there needs to be a shift here. Yeah. And this is where we're at. And it's 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 been an amazing journey. And I'm sure you have, you know, there's parts of there's your proud moments for yourself. Like, I didn't know I could accomplish that. And it inspires you to continue further. Am I, am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And if I can go back to something that you were hitting on, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Mm. And, um, you know, growing up, the only time I heard self-control applied, and again, this is um, just going to be a little raw about this, but the time that I most heard self-control talked about as a young man was really yeah. about saving yourself until you're married and not yeah. to have sex before marriage. And, right. and, and they used self-control in that context so much. I always heard it in that context, but I learned that self-control is also knowing when to put your fork down at mm. the dinner table. That's right. Because gluttony and obesity is running rampant in the church. It's one of those sins we don't want to talk about. We want to call out all kinds of other sins, but we don't want to touch the gluttony sin. Right. We don't get there. And uh, we don't want to talk about obesity, but the truth is, is that um, you know the Bible talks about how we are to treat our bodies, that our bodies are the temple. It does call out gluttony. I think it has a lot to do with just um, feeding your flesh. And um, so, yeah, I, I know that um, when it comes to health, uh, people can obsess over it, and that's certainly not what you want to do. But at the same time, I do believe that the discipline of self-control, there's a reason that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And yes. when you begin to discipline your flesh, it's going to transfer into other areas in your life. As you just mentioned, you're doing some entrepreneurial things as a result of some self-control with your diet, your health, and your exercise, and now it's pouring out into other areas of your life. So, man, kudos to you for that. Thank you. Praise, that's, praise God, man. It's all glory to God. And, um, you know, also for, you know, people like you and others that I've reached out to and were willing to share their wisdom and experience, and um, that just helps you. All those little, little nuggets of wisdom just helps you along the way and um it's very important and so when somebody reaches out to me whatever little uh wisdom i have i'll, I'll share it yeah and hope i can help them on on their journey yeah so you're the executive pastor at lighthouse church serving under pastor sam Mascarena, whom i i dearly respect and 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 uh and love so describe to me what an executive pastor does your duties and your responsibilities so it's going to look different based on the church that you go to, because obviously each church is going to need their executive pastor to function in the capacity that best, fits, uh, that best fits their context. But one of the unique things about Lighthouse Church is that our pastor is bivocational, so he still works in the marketplace. So my role as an executive pastor is probably a little more than what your average Amer executive pastor would do in America based on the fact that most senior pastors are not bivocational. That's not the the norm, if you will. Right. So here at Lighthouse, I'd say that my plate is very full. I oversee all of the operations, day-to-day uh, -day operations of the church. I oversee all of the ministries here at the church. The, the areas where I don't preside over has to do with the uh, top level of leadership, which is like leading the board of elders. I have a seat with the board of directors, but I don't lead the board of directors. Um, those are the areas that my pastor is uh, hands-on with, but just about everything else, I'm hands-on. When it comes to leadership, um, aligning the culture in our church with where we're trying to head the vision of the church, and so I've got a lot on my plate. Um, I've got an incredible team, though, because I will say that 
my job is made so much easier because all of the gifted and talented people that are serving this church and I just got to say, I could not do it without them. But, um, you know, the role of executive pastor here is pretty wide. It's pretty wide. And the the vision that that you have for this church, it's it's very evident. I'm sitting here in this uh, beautiful building. Um, you've recently moved into it. You've you've done a lot of work to it, and your your church is expanding. Tell yeah. tell me about your your services and where you have your services. That way, the, those that are listening can perhaps, if they're in the area, can come and uh, join you. Yeah, thank you for that. So we meet at East Lake High School. That's in Chula Vista, which is a south. Um, it, it's it's a south city within San Diego County. So we are part of the San Diego County, but we're south of downtown San Diego. Um, it is a growing city. Um, at one point, Forbes ranked the city of Chula Vista the second fastest growing city in the country. Wow. Little known fact about Chula Vista. Yeah, it's growing by leaps and bounds. So. We had this opportunity to uh, really um, impact the city with where it is growing most. And the east side of the city is where all the growth is happening. The west side of the city has been built out. And um, at the east side, um, there are multi-million dollar projects happening. Even now, just uh, half a mile from where I live, where they are just developing and putting hotels and putting restaurants and putting communities. And by 2020, I think they said, our population in the city would increase by 50,000. It's just, wow. it's phenomenal, the growth that's happening in the city. But that's where we're located. Okay. We have three services at East Lake High School. Each service is the same format. We're structured that way just because we don't fit in the building for just one service. So we have to run three services a Sunday. We're a mobile church. We're meeting right now in our, our offices. We do have a sanctuary here. It's small. Um, it allows us to do all of our day-to-day -day operations and lead our teams and teach our teams and train here. Um, but every Sunday we're at the high school and we take over that high school. We, we have the gym, we have the theater, we have the cafeteria, we have classrooms, we have outdoor space, amphitheater, dance room. I mean, we just take that entire campus and wow. make it our own. Wow. I'm going to have to stop by one of these days. I, I see your, your, your videos online. You guys have a great music. Sounds great. The, the children's programs, um, just, you know, overall, um, hearing pastors Sam preach, hearing, yeah. hearing you speak. I mean, I, I can see why this church is, is thriving. And you, you talked about how your, uh, your, your pastor is still uh, in the corporate, uh, corporate world. But uh, according to your Facebook page, uh, five years ago, you left the corporate world yeah. to become executive pastor here at Lighthouse. What prompted you to finally leave that corporate world with all the benefits and yeah. perhaps the the uh, economic benefits to that it entailed. What prompted you to leave that and and come and come and serve as executive pastor? So first off, Pastor Sam had been asking me to do it. He had been oh, wow. asking me for a while to come and serve full time at the church. I had worked full time at a church before, and that was at the previous church that I attended. And um, the corporate thing had a lot of upward trajectory. I was climbing that ladder, a lot of security. God had really blessed me where I was. Um, and when Pastor Sam would talk to me about it, I, I shared with him, just very transparent, you know, I have it in my heart to, to lead a church, right. to pastor a church. And so I said, I don't know how that would look if God has put that burden on my life. It's not now, but it's at some point in the future. And so part of me just didn't want to do it because if I felt that God was ever calling me out, I didn't want to go through any of that stuff and just tried to honor the house as much as I could. 
But then I remember being in a service, and it was in July, and Pastor Russell Evans, he's the senior pastor of Planet Shakers, was speaking, and he said something, but I I don't feel like he said it into a room full of people. I felt like God spoke directly to me, and and, and, and what God said through Pastor Russell was, you'll never see your vision fulfilled unless you can serve another man's vision. Wow. So God pierced my heart in that moment. I came home. I shared that with my wife. I said, I don't feel like he was just saying that into the room. I felt like God was using him to speak that right into me. And I felt so convicted. I I left so broken with that because I had this uh, mindset that, man, I wouldn't serve this house because God was going to call me to plant a church one day. And I didn't want any. I thought I was honoring the house. I I thought I was doing I thought I was doing the right thing until God really just kind of shook me and let me know that I needed to come here and serve this man's vision. And so that's what caused me to walk away from it all. And I've been here for five years now. Wow. And how and how has it been being under uh, Pastor Sam Mascareño? Uh, what have you learned? What has uh, he taught you as far as, you know, leading the, the day-to-day um, a part of the church? He's been so—he um, just trusts me, and that is so valuable. To yes. leaders out there that have never been under a leader that just gives them so much trust, I mean, it is a blessing. Um and it's really allowed me to thrive. Now, I'll just say at a very, very high level, what it has given me is experience in the last five years that most people will not experience in a lifetime of leading at a church, and I'll quantify that. In In these five years, we have launched a second campus, so I've been right at the pointy edge of going multi-site. We've gone from two services to four services. I know what it's like to start a service. We were toying with the Sunday evening thing. Didn't work, so we shut it down. I know what it's like to start another another service that's completely in Spanish. And then again, we found when we went through a big transition in the fall of last year that right. we weren't actually our best at that. And uh, a lot of people had told us to give it a go. And we realized, you know, that really wasn't us. Right. Um, we walked away from a building and we've completely moved a congregation of 1400 people to another part of town. So I can say in the last five years, it's been a lot. In, in the last five years, it's probably more than some people will ever have the opportunity to do leading a church. And I say all that to get to the point of Pastor Sam has entrusted me and he's allowed me to just uh, to, to just flourish in this environment. What I've learned from him um, really is just, it, it's a style of leadership. But when Pastor Sam walks into the room, I mean, he, he really does, um, people come to attention when he walks into the room, knowing that the senior leader is in the room. But at the same time, he's so accomplished. He's, he's so disciplined, but yet so down to earth. I, I've, I've been able to be myself with him. Very approachable. Very approachable. Yes. Uh, some pastors don't have an off button. He right. has an off button. He can just sit down and you can watch the San Diego State Aztecs play basketball on TV with him. And he's going to just be cool with you in those moments. So it's been a lot, and it's really hard to quantify you know, one or two things that I've learned from him because I feel like I've learned so much for him, from him. It's been great. Wow. He, he is very approachable. In fact, one, one time I was at uh, Extraordinary Desserts there in Little Italy in, in San Diego, and I'm sitting there eating my dessert, and I look over, and there's Pastor Sam. And he just looks over at me, and we just walk up, give, give each other a hug. He's, Abraham, how you doing? It's been a long time. Great to see you. You know, just he's just super down to earth yet like you said very very accomplished and he's 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 doing well and with people like you helping to uh to continue his vision um 
you guys are doing great things here. I mean, I, I can see it. I, I can feel it. I can sense it in, in my spirit. So now you're the executive pastor. You got into ministry at a young age. Yeah. So my question to you is, when did you know you were called to the ministry? And not only when, but how did you know? How how was that confirmed to you? Yeah, so um, I'm a Pentecostal, so we were at a youth camp, and I think that's when um, I received a word. Uh, someone came and laid hands on me, prophesied over me. And what it did is it confirmed. It, it didn't tell me something that I hadn't already felt. It didn't it, it, it didn't um, surprise me by any chance because I come from a, a lineage of pastors and preachers and, and, and leaders, and so... When that word of the Lord came and, and, and I was prophesied over, it, what, what I did in response to that was um, pr- probably the, 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 in the real sense. I mean, I literally, when I, when I was prophesied over, the first thing I knew that I needed to do that night was go to Bible college. And I remember having a conversation that same night with my father. And wow. I said, Dad, I got to get to Bible college. And this was in the fall. Um, school was well underway, so we said, "Okay, next fall we'll, we'll make it happen." So from that point forward, it it, it went into this um, mode of preparing myself for Bible college, where yes. a lot of my spiritual formation happened. So when 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 the call came, um, and I was 18 years old, all systems were then focused on getting me to Bible college the following fall. And, and your father w- was very supportive of, of you. Did he sense that same thing for you? My father was supportive, but like a good dad, he made me pay for it. <laughs> and so That's when good. I told my dad that I wanted to go to Bible college, and, and believe it or not, it's the same college that my dad went to. Wow. Because he went to the same Bible. It was a, called a different name at that time. Um, they had changed the name after he had left, but um, he went to the same college. And uh, so my dad said, hey, I'm all about it. I, I'm, I think you should go and do this. And uh the next question was, how are you going to pay for it? And I'm looking at him like, well, that's what you're for. He's looking at me like, if that's, you know, you, you know, you hear these preachers say that the anointing is going to cost you something. Well, guess what? It literally cost me. So thousands. Uh, yeah, thousands. <laughs> I had to save. So so like I said, when I say all systems were go for that, I was saving money. I was putting money away. And um, I'll tell you a story that you can absolutely relate with as a musician. But I remember getting to about. Um, I was $500 short of the down payment that I needed in order to get into the school because you had to put some money up front because right. so many kids try to go to Bible college with, well, the Lord called me, and yeah, the calling don't pay the bills. So um, I remember getting getting to the point where I was $500 short of what I needed to actually get into school, and so I told my dad, I said, Dad, I'm 500 short. And he looks at me, and he's like, well, it sounds like you're not going to go. And, 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 and that might have been like, man, he's so messed up. But I think he was teaching me something in that moment. Well, I know that he was teaching me something in that moment. So, so Abraham, I was sitting in my room, and I, and I can remember it uh, clear as day. And I'm like, how am I going to get $500? And right there in the corner of my room is my babies, my drum set. <laughs> and I literally had to sell my drums. And you know me back yes. when I was 18 years old. Yes. I mean, drumming was my thing. And I had to sell my drum set. And I just sold, you know, I was like, nah, brother. And I sold it to a brother from church. I'm like, you ain't taking my snare, you ain't taking my cymbals, and you ain't taking my pedal, right? And now I'm talking like a drummer, right? So I kept my cymbals, I kept my snare, and I kept my pedal, and I sold everything else, and I got the 500 I needed, and man, I was on my way to Bible college. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you kept your cymbals, you kept all your all your hardware, just in case you got another drum set, you Absolutely. can keep playing. <laughs> smart man, smart man. In fact, I'm going I'm to tell you something that, I noticed from afar about you, but I never told you, and that you bring now that you bring up Bible college, you know I've known you for a long time, 
um, excellent drummer. Uh, you play camps. You play. I remember uh, I was going to Vista uh, Apostolic Church at the time, and we would get invited down to uh, National City Church, where you where you were um, a member, and we would sing um, specials uh, songs there. We'd get invited to the choir to sing, um, and you were a drummer. You you know you were involved, but I remember that when you left to Bible College, and when you came back, you were a whole different person. Yeah, something up there changed your heart mm -hmm. because when you came down it, it was it wasn't just regular josh it was leader josh passion josh um let's get things done let's motivate let's get people involved and you became um the southern district youth president i i, I remember we we had a concert downtown at the, the san diego the golden hall yeah tone was there yeah you were we were doing Things that we weren't being done at, at that time. Yeah. You, I remember we, we ran a, a, a basketball tournament uh, together. You know, yeah. we're doing all these things. Yeah. But you came back so different, and I noticed it. And the way you spoke, the way you talked, you just went a, a whole different level. So I, I knew when you went up there you and you came back, it was a very, very different, different Josh. Yeah. And I think that was the the uh the jump start for getting you to where you are now yeah wow yeah definitely was um i i'll say this though um and 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 i caution this to some of the young men at my church now that just because you go to bible college it does not mean you're going to come back changed and i caution parents i said some people will go to bible college and they will actually lose their way they will actually come back a wreck. And I caught, and, and some people are like, are you, how can you possibly go? Well, I mean, you, you give a 18, 19 year old that much freedom. That doesn't mean they're going to go and follow Jesus. I mean, that, I, I wasn't, I was there and I couldn't believe it too. People wow. are getting kicked out of Bible college. Well, you know, some kids, they just wanted to get out of mom and dad's home and saying Bible college was the right thing to transplant them across the country. And once they got out there, I mean, things just went wild. So um, Bible college was not the solution for everybody. And um, I say spiritual formation because while I was there, I learned. I, I learned how to study my word. Um, but there was also something there that was so powerful, Abraham, something that very few people would take advantage of. And there was a 24-hour prayer room. Wow. And the people that were transformed were people that went into that prayer room and wouldn't come out until the next day. And there were, mo there were several times when I would go in on an evening, I'd have dinner, I'd go into that prayer room the next time people would see me. Um, it was at breakfast, and, and that, that's because I prayed all through the night. So wow. spiritual formation was not just um, not just learning, because we would we would laugh because we would see some people leave Bible college, and they were the same knucklehead that they were when they went. <laughs> and I say that respectfully, as respectfully as I can. But they but they they gave a degree to a knucklehead, and you know, and then and their, their head is so full of Bible right. knowledge, but not applying any of it. Right. And, you know, for me, I just knew that that I couldn't go down that path. Um, I went, I learned, I was shaped, I was molded. And then I came down and, man, um, just wanted to do everything I can. Didn't always get it right. right. Made some mistakes, as any 19, 20-year-old would. But I thank God for the leaders in my life, those that gave me the grace to make mistakes and the grace to learn and the grace to just continue forging ahead. Wow, that's a, that's a great point. And I, I, didn't, I didn't even think about that. But you're right. Uh, you can go to Bible college and... You can have all the information, yeah. and and if you don't apply it, and there's no uh, life application, then you just went to yep. school and spent thousand dollars. Yep. 
but that that's great. So I, I really I just wanted to, to to point that out that I when you came back you were a very very uh, different person and uh, and you were an inspiration to many and so I, I commend you for that. Yes, and, and speaking about the, the call of God yeah. and the call of God is is heavy. It mm-hmm. can be heavy at times on our lives. Sometimes we run from the call. Yeah, I know I ran from the call for a little while. And and even now, sometimes I feel like I, I got a late start into ministry. So what would you say to someone who, who is struggling to answer that call? Well, um, I probably want to unpack their context a little more before I can give them an answer. But I, I would just say that the call doesn't stop. And so if you run from the call at 19 years old, God will still be calling you at 25, 30, 35. He will continue to call until you answer. Um, He will stand at that door and just continue to knock until you open it. And so for anyone that is struggling with the call, I would just say it's better to say yes now and save yourself a world of hurt, save yourself a world of disappointment, save yourself a world of brokenness. Not to say that that doesn't happen post-call. But I think that the minute you say yes to Jesus and you say yes to that call, he's going to begin to order your steps and put things in a way that if you tried to go at it alone, it would not be accomplished. Wow. Very true. And sometimes um, we can be like, you know, Jonah, we we know what God wants us to do, what he's called us to do, and we and we run from it. And but then we wonder, why is the storm of life continue to follow me? Why? Why aren't things working out? And sometimes, like as you just said, you just say yes now. Yeah. Say yes now. It, it, it's sometimes it's our, our our curiosity that wants us to, you know, to go out and venture into into the world and, and see what's out there. But then we come back bruised, battered, m- messed up, and then we say, Lord, well, I should have said yes. Yeah. So, and I know there's there's others that are struggling. Some gifted people that can that can write, that can sing, that can play, that can preach, that can teach. That I know are struggling with this call, and I hope that that they can somehow hear about this this uh, podcast, and that maybe this uh, can be a, a turning point for them. It can be just a little push. Maybe it can be that next knock on their heart. Yeah. And 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 to to impact the the kingdom of God. Um. Uh, Ministry can be a lonely road sometimes. Yeah. Not a lot of people understand what you go through. Right. The time, the what the cost of it. All they see is is Pastor Josh up on the stage, but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. In fact, the sole basis of this of this podcast is simply to to just encourage others, to inspire others that are, are going through a, a difficult time. So uh, how do you deal with, with the up and up and downs of ministry life? Well, I first and foremost thank God for my wife. Um, my wife has just been the rock um, of our home. Yes. And she's been alongside this journey. I met my wife when we were kids. We were teenagers when we met, and we were just kids. And um, I'm, I'm grateful that God introduced me to the woman that he had planned for me at a young age because I didn't have to go and do all of that dating and stuff that I sometimes I right. see my friends going through. And so we got married very young. Um, my wife was 20. I was 23 when we got married. We had dated for four years. But I, I can honestly say that having her by my side has been huge because she gets me, she understands me, and she has been there. Obviously, first and foremost, when the trials come, I go to God. But when he said that I'm going to give you a help me, that's really what she has become. She has become a help. And, and, and she has met me when I was 
at my lowest times. I yes. mean, this ministry has caused me to cry. Grown man crying, broken, frustrated. Yes. Um, and she was that shoulder to cry on. This ministry has caused me to want to throw in the towel. This ministry has caused me to question if it's the right path. This ministry, especially when so much is going right for you outside of uh, in the corporate world, it, it's caused me to question, why am I even doing this? But we were reminded of uh, when we first met and um, when we were just talking about our dreams and our futures, we both knew that God had called us to be pastors. And anytime we felt like we wanted to walk away from this, God brought us back to this point and says, I've called you two to do this. And he, it, he put us together because, Amen. I mean, she knew that she was going to be in the pastorship even before she met me. She knew that that was the calling on her life. And wow. so God literally brought us together. Now, for those that aren't married and for those that would say that sounds good for a married couple, what, what about me? I, I would say that um, you've got to learn to trust God with your first, your best. You go to God first before you go to anyone else. And uh, after you've gone to God, then you learn to go to your teachers, leaders, and those that you're in community with. And so if you've got, um, especially if you're a single a single uh, person, who is fathering you or mothering you spiritually? Who's discipling you? Who's pouring into you? Yes. Who's your mentor? Who's your coach? Lean on them. When the call is tough and you are single, go to them. Go to your, And then go to your brothers, your peers. Um, for those uh, sisters on the uh, that are listening in, who are your sisters? Who are you leaning in on? Because you've got to be surrounded by that type of community when you aren't in marriage. And that type of community will help you through the dark nights and the long days and help you get through. Of, of course, first and foremost, we go to God. But beyond that, who have you surrounded yourself with? Wow, that's powerful. That's one one of the things that you you touched on earlier, we we're touching a little bit about uh, about uh, Bible college, and one of the things that transformed you wasn't so much a classroom, but it was the the twenty four hour prayer room. And in fact, one of my next questions is specifically about prayer. And uh, one of the keys uh, to navigate through this life, through this this hard life, is prayer. And I have found that when I pray, I allow I allow myself to pour out. Of, of my heart, all the issues, yeah. um, all my anxieties, you know, the, the confusion, and, and just give it to God. But when I don't pray, and I know some people can relate, I, f- I feel out of balance. I feel like, like I'm on a on a seesaw. I, I don't know what's, what's happening next. I don't know what's going to happen. There's a little bit of, of, of fear, maybe of, of timidity uh, when I don't pray. So why do you think prayer has become a a last resort, or, or am I just making assumptions? No, you're, you're absolutely right. Prayer has become a last resort for a lot of people because of, um, I think it, it's, it's, I can't answer it. There's no single answer. I think there's, it's, it's a variety of answers, but um, people have not learned to pray. They, they have not been taught to pray. Beyond that, they have not been modeled prayer. Um, and, and people may not have been modeled prayer because they've surrounded themselves with the wrong circles. If you don't have a man of God or a woman of God that's a prayer warrior in your life, who's going to teach you to pray? If mom and dad didn't set that example to you, and if you're listening and you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm the only one in my family that's saved, then you got to go find yourself a father or a mother spiritually that is going to teach you how to pray. 
Um, we don't want to pray. We, we, we'd rather take to Instagram. We'd rather take to social media. We'd rather talk to friends. We'd rather right. talk to other people about our problems. The, the problem with that, Abraham, is when you talk to other people about our problems, you're making other people sit on a throne that only God should be sitting on. Ooh, come on. And so those people can't be your Jesus. Those people can't be your Lord and Savior. You can spill your guts out to them, but they can't do anything about it. The beautiful thing about prayer is when you take it to God, you're actually taking it to someone who can do something about it. That's right. He's got the power that opens opens up doors that are closed. He's got the power to heal the sick. He's got the power to mend the broken heart. For some reason, we'd rather take to other avenues, but we've got to learn that by going to God first, we're actually going to the one that can do something about it. Ooh, that's good. That's that's very, very, very true. And sometimes God, in fact, I say sometimes, many times God has convicted me, you, you just need to talk to me. Mm-hmm. You, you just need to stop trying to get the opinions of others because they're going to tell you what feels good what sounds good and they might not even be on that same spiritual level as you they might be a little bit below you and give you uh some bad advice or um lead you on a a wrong path just like you say you you should we should have a a spiritual mother or or, or father and we should and let's talk about this we should put away like the embarrassment to just to be able to go and ask for help yeah to ask you know hey i need you to pray for me i'm struggling with with this i'm 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 dealing with this this habit this i'm I'm, this addiction or whatever it it may be yeah and i think that uh, it's important that we reach out to others and and have some touching and agree with us yeah absolutely when when one of the things that is powerful in scriptures that we read is that we are to confess our faults one to another so that we can be healed. Yes. Many of us think that once we've confessed all of our faults to God and and while he does forgive us, um, the complete healing that we need to experience will happen when we confess our faults to our brothers and sisters. So God's going to forgive. God's going to make us whole. But a lot of us still need the healing that only happens in the context of the community that you are living in. And you can go to someone and open up and confess your faults. I I don't know why God ordained it that way, but he did. It's one of those scriptures that you read and you're thinking, man, I'd rather not tell people my problems. And I can certainly understand that. But yet that's the precedent that the scriptures state. The scriptures state, go find someone, confess your faults to that person so that you can be healed. Wow. Amen. See, that's a message in itself right it there. It is. <laughs> so I don't have to come on Sunday. That, that, that's good enough for me. <laughs> Just kidding. That's a, that's a great word. Um, and, and along those lines, um, you at one point you were, you were a guest on uh, uh, this Facebook Live uh, a show with Real Talk with uh, Mingo Garcia. Yeah. And Mingo. you, yeah, it's a while ago. Love and, him. Uh, Love him. Yeah, good guy. And like I, like I told you, did a little bit, little bit of research. I, I watched this in its entirety. And there's one thing that you said that that resonated with me. It stuck with me, and in fact, I had I had to start just applying it to my life, and I've been thinking about it ever since. And there was a discussion. I, I, if it, hopefully you remember uh, about priorities and how God is supposed to be uh, number one in our lives. Well, there's a there's like a numerical order, you know, God, family, church. But you jumped in and you said, God didn't ask to be number one. He asked us to be the center of everything. When you said that, bro, I was like, I, it stopped me in my tracks. Mm-hmm. And I immediately began to think about my finances, my 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 family, my my job, my ministry, uh, my future. And is God really the center of everything? Mm-hmm. How do we make him the center? Yeah. So, um, you know, Israel Houghton wrote that powerful song, Jesus at the center of it all. Right. Yes, he did. And um, 
I got to give some credit. I said that, but I'm pretty, I think I jacked that from Pastor Billy Heather of Destiny Church. Maybe it may, it may not have been him, but I just remember hearing it from someone else right. and applying it. So I want to just lead with that. But, that, I mean, but anyway, this is the preacher's corner and preachers, we'd be stealing stuff all the time. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that from Billy, but, but to, to answer your question, God doesn't want to be on some pecking order of your life. He wants to be at the center of everything. So I'll give you an example, and I hope this answers your questions. You talked about triathlon earlier, and I remember that triathlon, I treated that as an outlet for my competitive nature. I treated that as a way to, um, when you're working at church and you are 100% devoted to ministry, everything becomes about that and you need an outlet. I remember hearing Pastor Rick Warren talk about what's your outlet. And I noticed that a lot of pastors like to golf and uh, golf is just too slow for me. So that's why I got into endurance sports, running and whatnot. But I had tried to compartmentalize my life and in triathlon and in running and, and in that, that lane, yes. I, I, I literally was like, this is not my Jesus time. This is not my church time. Don't ask me about my congregation. Don't ask me about Jesus. I was like, I try to literally compartmentalize that aspect of my life as yes. this is my escape. This is my outlet. But then I saw God began to invade that space. Wow. And I remember almost telling God like, hey, this is my time away from that sort of thing. And when I talk about invade that space, let me give you an example. I'd be out riding with people and people would start talking to me about their marriage, want to start opening up about their marriage. And then I found myself now wearing my pastoral hat. And in my mind, I'm like, hey, I'm off the clock. I'm trying to train you. <laughs> I'm trying to train you. Yeah. And, and, and more and more, this stuff started happening. And it really came to a peak when... It was, I was at a race and I was getting ready. The way that these races go, you get there early, you set up all your gear. I'm setting up all my gear. And a friend of mine comes to the and said, Pastor Josh, we're getting ready to pray before the race. Would you come lead the prayer? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and how small of me and how petty of me to be like, man, I can't believe no prayer at this race. But, but I felt like at that moment, um, you know how I talked about God knocks at the doors. There's moments where I think he's like starts kicking the door. That was a moment where God kicked the door. And is like, yes. I want to be in everything. And that day forward, I let God in. And now when I go out there, I, I'm still wearing that pastoral hat. It never comes off. God is the center of what I do there. And I've had an opportunity to witness and preach Jesus to many people when I surrendered that. So when it talks about finances, when it talks about career, when you talk about school, when you talk about all these other areas of our life where we try to compartmentalize those things, you will go crazy trying to compartmentalize everything. You've got to let Jesus be center of it all. When you put Jesus at the center of career, school, family, finances, all of those things, you're actually putting Jesus in a place where he can begin to affect those things. When you tell Jesus, you don't get to affect my career, then he won't affect your career. And you won't see the blessing of God go with you when you go into work. I remember one time being in the middle of negotiations. This is my corporate life. When I was trying to negotiate a government contract and, um, and we couldn't come to a resolution. And my boss had told me, you guys don't get to go home until you come to a negotiated agreement. And he was dead serious. And I had heard about negotiations literally going all throughout the night into the next business day. And I was bunkering down, getting ready for that. And then I remember my pastor called me on the phone and I had to take it. And uh, so it was in a, a little reprieve from negotiations. And my pastor called me, answered the call and I began to talk to him. He asked what was going on. I told him, hey, we're in this negotiation. It's not going well. We're very far yes. apart. I don't know if I'm going to close the gap. It's my responsibility to close this gap, but I don't know if I'm going to get there. And he said, well, have you prayed? <laughs> and then I'm thinking, I don't think Jesus cares about government <laughs> contracts. You know, I'm not sure if of all the things he's got to do with world hunger and abuse, does right. he really care about this little aspect of my life? And, um, you know, I, I took my pastor's advice. I prayed, Abraham, 
after I was done praying, and I, again, I thought we were bunkering down for the night, I walked right into that room, and within five minutes, we wrapped up negotiations and we were done. Wow. That was just a reminder that God is saying, look, I'll be right here if you want me to be in it. So put me in the center of everything. Make me the center of all of your endeavors, and you'll see God do incredible things. Wow. That's powerful. And, and, and just, just add just a little bit to, to that. Also, when, when, when I find that when I put God in the center of everything— there's a peace yeah there's a, there's a peace that goes along with with it because you know that just god's gonna handle everything he's in control just like as you mentioned earlier our steps are ordered mm-hmm. and when we put god in the center everything just flows just that much better doesn't mean you won't face opposition right doesn't mean you won't face uh criticism or people question you uh, or, or your character but when you put god in the center it just it just makes it life just work mm-hmm. and flow. Yeah. It's awesome. Amen. Preachers, ministers, leaders, uh, expositors of the word, and that's what I kind of want to uh, focus a little bit here right now. Sometimes we can be the some of the rejected people, the unwanted. Perhaps we can look at them as like the uh, unqualified. Well, you know, perhaps they didn't have a ministry lineage. They didn't come from, you know, the, the, the model home, but they were came off the streets, left a life of drugs. And and, and perhaps uh, we can look at them and be well, they're un- unqualified. But h- how can we uh, that's how we can perceive ourselves. Yeah. Even as, as uh, we looking at ministers. But um, now, how do we look beyond our our? Our human frailties uh, to to get up and preach every Sunday. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. There. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I have a short answer from this. I, I've told people and I teach people that we lead from our strengths, but we minister from our brokenness. If Say that it, one more time. We lead from our strengths, yeah. but we minister from our brokenness. To to the preachers out there that. Uh, um, all you see is your faults and, and your frailty. That is the lens by which you should minister to other people. Wow. That's awesome. It, it, going along those lines, what, what, uh, what makes a good preacher? What makes a good teacher in your, in your opinion? In my opinion, I think that what makes a great preacher is someone who spends time and, uh, pardon the use of the word here as some people might reject this say word, it. but, uh, They spend time on their craft. Mm -hmm. They spend time actually becoming a better communicator. There's a lot of, see, here's the thing, and and Andy Stanley talks about this in his book, The Next Generation Leader. He talks about that because preachers are gifted communicators and they can get up there and communicate better than anyone else, they'll actually not spend the appropriate amount of time working on their sermons because they're gifted. It's very true. And because they're gifted at it, they feel like they don't need to invest the time. But if you think about it, some of the most pe- some of the people that are the most gifted um, and, and where talent will carry them, they will still put that much more effort into it to get better at it. If, if you watch uh, King LeBron James, <laughs> love him or hate him. And he's a Laker, by the way. He's a Laker. Which, which I'm he's a Laker, a Laker fan. Let's get that on record here. All right. I won't hold that against you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I live in San Diego. We don't have a professional basketball team, so I, I found myself cheering on the Lakers, too. Um, but uh, he works hard, harder. And, and he's probably the most gifted, one of the most gifted athletes in the NBA, but he will outwork anybody. Yes. And so to the preachers, to the communicators, I think what makes a great preacher is someone that will work hard on their craft. They, they will mm. put some thought into their opening remarks. They're actually going to put some thought 
into how they are going to put the scriptures together. It's real easy for a preacher to get lazy because they're gifted. Uh, don't do that. Don't do that. Work hard at your craft. Work very hard. Spend some time thinking about how you will open, how you will close. If you're going to put some humor in there, which you should, get that thing rehearsed before you get up there because you can go from being a great com a great communicator to a master communicator if you would yes. invest some time. Somebody told me that if you're going to get into ministry, if you're going to preach and teach, you need to be a reader. You yeah. need to be a reader. Absolutely. Uh, all the time. Mm -hmm. What is your current read right now? Soar by T.D. Jakes. Ooh. Bishop Jakes. That's what I'm reading right now. What have been some of the pitfalls that you have seen in ministry and how uh, as ministers and teachers, leaders, can we uh, how can we avoid them? I think that um, it, let, let me talk to the preacher. Um, as I said a minute ago to the preachers, I think the, the, the pitfall is the lack of preparation, the lack of preparation, not Ooh. just in, in in just preparing for the sermon. But I mean, have, have you prepared yourself through prayer? Have you prepared yourself through fasting? Are you ready to give a word in season or out of season? as the Bible says. And so I think that preachers who are not prepared are going to stumble and fall. They're relying on their gifting, but they don't want to develop it. They're relying on the talent that God has given them, but they're not working that talent out. And to the Christian, I mean, it's almost the same thing. It's a uh, it's, it's, I would say this to the Christian that stumbles and fall. I believe it's because they are not plugged into their community. Mm. So, you know, uh, you're never too big to serve. You ought to be serving on a Sunday um, I, and I know that Sunday doesn't give, um, the Sunday will only give but one platform and your pastor's on it, but right. you've got a platform every time you line up to help park cars. You've got a platform every time you're there to stand at the door and greet. You've got a platform if you're serving coffee or if you're setting up speakers and tearing down speakers because you're a mobile church and you're on the setup and teardown crew. I have found that people that detach the furthest are the people that do not want to get in small group. They do not, they do not want to serve on Sunday. The, on. And, and, and those are the people that it does not surprise me when they fall off the grid or they're going through hell. And, and and they're not doing life with anyone. And they're the ones that are saying, Pastor, I need you. And, and we're thinking, we've put you in a community of people. You could be in a small group and they will be helping you through all of life's struggles. And it doesn't take the pastor to come down because you're living life in community and they're able to pour into you. So people who, who want to... They want Jesus, but they don't want his body. Jesus Jesus said, you know, that Jesus is the head and the body is the church. Well, maybe you want to decapitate Jesus. They don't want the church. They don't want the body, but they want Jesus. You can't decapitate Jesus. Come on. Pastor Sean Epstead said it this way. You can't say, Pastor Josh, I want you, but I don't want your wife. I want your help, but I don't want Joanna. Imagine if you said to me, Josh, I want to take you out, but don't bring your wife with you. I mean, that, that would hurt me in a certain kind of way. And I might not show up right. if you started to reject my bride. And, and, and there's too many Christians that reject the bride. They reject the body of Christ, the church, and all they want is Jesus. That's not healthy. You know, if I wasn't confined to the seat and the, these headphones, I'd be getting up and just doing a little dance because you were just <laughs> preaching right now because it has never been put in that context about um, of how important it is to, to connect and yeah. to serve. In fact, I saw uh, one of uh, Bishop T.D. Jake's posts some time ago, and he said, uh, service is the gateway to leadership. Yeah. You know, everybody just wants to take that, just uh, well, let me ask this question. Since why why do you 
why do we want to be so visible? Why do I always want to be at the top? Why can't we just be um, serving where nobody ever knows and do things where nobody would ever know? Just those that have been blessed by them. It, it, it goes back to pride, man. I think that the human begin. We are flawed, and the human condition at the root of who we are is this desire to be seen. It's been exponentially magnified through Instagram and social media. Right. I told our young people this. I, I, speaking to our youth, I said, you know what is petty to me is when someone posts something and takes it down because it doesn't get enough likes. <laughs> I mean, come on. What is if, if you genuinely were in a moment where you wanted to share that moment with the right. world and so you took a picture and you shared that moment with the world, if you were not validated by the amount of double taps that you had on your picture that come you would on. then choose to take that moment down, now there's some real. I'm talking about pictures on Instagram, but I think there's some application there. Yes, we want to be seen, and it, and it, and if if we're not given the opportunity to be seen in the way that we in in the context that we desire, we pull back, and then that's that's the wrong thing. Wow, wow, that's great. That's that's great. That's great. Great great advice. I'm, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit. Um, depression. Mm -hmm. Depression is being talked about a little more a little bit more openly. You know, yeah. we had. Uh, Recently, um, Anthony Bourdain, who who very famous person who who had it all, money, fame, Kate Kate Spade, all within the same week, both took their own lives and were suffering from um, depression. In fact, I th um, the Thursday night uh, before uh, Anthony Bourdain uh, took his own life, I was actually watching his Seattle show. You know, because I always like to watch. Um, different cities that I, I, I plan on visiting. So I get little tips, you know, where, where he ate, maybe, you know, just, just for reference. Yeah. And uh, I fell asleep watching that show. And the first thing I, I do is wake up the next morning to, to the news that he had, had taken his own life. So, de so depression, me mental health is, is being talked about more openly. It used to be a, a very uh, taboo subject. So how should the church uh, address uh, somebody battling depression? And is it a disease or, or is it a spirit? Wow, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to give you my response, and uh, I, I don't claim to be an authority on the subject, and I would just pray that uh, this doesn't rub anyone, anyone the, long, the wrong way. Right. I believe when you're talk, tackling something like depression, it's both. I, I do believe that there is a spiritual component of it, but I think it is reckless to abandon doctors and the help that we can find through medicine, right. um, psychologists, counselors, and there are Christian psychologists and Christian counselors. Um, go to them if you have strong reservations about that field of work. But I, I do think that it is both. It, it's, it's both spiritual and it is practical. On a practical level, um, women have postpartum depression. Right. I, I don't believe that's a spirit. I think that that is a very real um, condition that women face as their hormones are, are, are trying to rebalance each other and then depression will happen. And if the husband does not support the wife enough, if the wife doesn't feel like she has enough support, I mean, cause kids will drive you crazy. I know you don't know nothing <laughs> about that, but I've got three of my own and, and there are times where they'll leave you defeated. And so it's not always spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's just as simple as, man, this woman needs help. She's got to get help. She should go and see a doctor. Now, at the same time, I am cautious about some of the stuff that they try to do to treat people. Right. Absolutely. Right. I'll give you one example. There was a young man in our youth ministry that um, was battling depression. 
And after hearing him, Abraham, I was convinced it wasn't depression. I was convinced this guy just needed some more exercise in his life. And that's not just the coach and me speaking, but um, he was taking medicine to get his serotonin levels up. Mm. And I'm thinking, and I asked him, have you ever heard of a runner's high? And he's like, I've kind of heard about that. Is that real? Absolutely. You can start running and get to a place where your serotonin, your dopamine levels are rising. And, and, And I told him it is therapy. And it is, and, and you know what I went out and did? I, I was right around Christmas time. I took him to the runner store and I got him a brand new pair of running shoes. For those runners, you know, that sets you back, sets you back about $120. Oh yeah. But I told him, I said, put these shoes on, start running. And he started running and he told me my dopamine levels are going up. What medicine tried to gave him, he found through running. And so in that situation, I thought that was so practical. I didn't really feel like the devil was after him. I just felt like, kid, you got to get out and do some exercise. Because many times we try, we just want to rebuke it out of Absolutely. them and bind it out of them. And, yeah. And, and just like how you what you did you just you just talk to him yeah and and maybe uh we could share the word because the word is a like a healing balm to yeah. our, to our, yeah. our spirits and to our our, our hearts yeah and th- th- that that was you explained it very eloquently very well and what do you think the church can do um more to help people suffering with depression. Yeah, so I heard this said by Pastor Jeremy Foster. It was so good. He said, treat normal people like celebrities and make celebrities feel normal. Mm. He pastors a large church where he gets both the normal and the celebrity. So he talked about they have a protocol when celebrities come into the church that they try to normalize the environment for them as much as possible because the celebrity like Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, they probably don't know what it's like to be quote-unquote normal anymore because they've been plopped up on this platform, yes. propped up on this platform, and and and, and they, they don't know what it's like to feel normal. They start to lose sense with normalcy. And so, um, and at the same time, to the normal person, we make them feel like a celebrity, so we go extra with them. At, at church, at Lighthouse, what I teach our, hasp- our hospitality team, hospitality is making a stranger feel loved. That's it. So when that stranger walks through the doors of our church, we want to make them feel loved. We are going to hug on them. We are going to love on them. We have this amazing group of young uh, of young people that our youth pastor, he's a phenomenal leader, yes. has done a great job teaching them that when people walk into the church, we're like, how you doing? We're high-fiving them. Since we clap for them, we're shouting them down. We're making people on the way into church feel so loved feel so celebrated and in a way i think that can really help someone who's feeling like that none of that exists in their life they come to church on a sunday and the normal person is being celebrated wow ladies and gentlemen this is uh rev herrera (laughs) this is why he's been an executive pastor at lighthouse church for five years you you can feel the anointing just uh coming through the microphone you can sense uh god's spirit over him and and he was that's one of the reasons why I asked him to be the uh, to be on this uh, on this podcast because I I believe that the people need to hear what God is doing not only here in uh, Chula Vista but what God is doing through him and and I it's resonating resonating in my in my spirit you know I'm I'm just I'm just trying to prompt him uh, with with some questions but he's he's ministering to me right now he's starting to make me think about uh, my approach on, on different things of, of, about my life and I hope that this that's what this podcast uh, does for for others, and uh, we're, we're going to be wrapping up here. But I, I want to ask you, uh, Pastor Josh. I, I like personally calling you Rev Herrera. I like I, I like that. <laughs> I like Rev Herrera. Uh, uh, Rev Herrera, how do you, how do you prepare yourself to preach? So the way that I prepare myself, well, let me say this: go book, read a book called Preaching with Freshness. I forgot the author's mm. name. I read that so long ago. Great book. Um, but when I prepare myself to preach, obviously you approach it from 
hermeneutics. We want to understand who was the author, um, what is the context, what do we know about that culture, what do we know about those customs. But beyond that, if you look at the biblical times, the rabbis, what made a rabbi pop in the days of Christ was their ability to take the Old Testament scripture and give it fresh application. I, I wholeheartedly believe that there can only be one interpretation of Scripture, but yes. many applications of Scripture. Now, I do tell to the preachers, be cautious with application and state when you are making application. It is an injustice to the Scriptures when you will take an application and say that is the interpretation. That's an injustice and that is wrong. And you are mishandling the Scriptures. And I caution every preacher to always approach the Scriptures through the lens of personal application to the neglect of the interpretation of the Scripture. Now, Having said all that, you first go after the interpretation of Scripture. Then after you go through the interpretation of Scripture, you start thinking how you can apply the Scriptures. Jesus was masterful in how he applied the Scriptures. No one could apply the Scriptures like Jesus. Another person that was phenomenal was the Apostle Paul, and he had a way of applying the Scriptures that was just phenomenal. But what they would do is they would go to the Old Testament and they would pull out the Scriptures and say, this is like that yes. and we have to find a way to take this uh manuscript where at its earliest dating is 2000 years and at most ancient datings goes back to 5000 plus years and we have got to make this thing applicable to today that's the biggest thing that i can say in my preparation my preparation goes through the lens of so what i'm going to be speaking at lighthouse this coming sunday and i'm actually going to be touching on gideon and a big part of me is trying to take this story which is a story I mean, it's a story about this dude named Gideon. Um, there is no direct interpretation for the church, but how can I apply what happened to Gideon to today? Because I, I do believe in, with all respect to exegetical preachers that, that, that are preaching to purely exegete the texts, um, we got to make an application, man. Yes. We, we've got to give people something that come Monday morning, they have something to do with it. We've given them some handles of the word. Otherwise, yes. otherwise, and... Um, you know, they've just heard a great sermon, but what do I do with it? I love preachers conferences. Don't get me wrong. I, you and I grew up going to preachers conferences where there was probably very little application. We would stand back and be like, my God, what a preacher. And that has its place. Right. Preachers conferences. Amen. Awesome things. But when you're talking about preaching on a Sunday morning, you better say something that they can use on Monday. Yes. It needs to be something that they can use, not just, oh, my God, what a revelation. Oh, my God, what a mind. Oh, my God. Well, you know, no, no. What can they actually use come Monday morning? And I think that for me, that's my my style and my mode of preparation. It, it, it comes back to so what? What do I do with this thing? What, what am I asking people to change in their lives and what can they do with it? Wow. So those of you that are, are thinking about preaching, perhaps are preaching this Sunday, you might have to change your approach just based on that uh, last answer alone. But uh, the, this is this is good stuff. This is good good advice that we 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 should really think about. Not just get up there and just give a shout. Not just get up there and just uh, get the people excited, but give them substance. Yeah. Give them, like you said, handles. Give them tools so that Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday, when they're at work, they can apply that and, and even minister to their coworkers. They Absolutely. can uh, minister to somebody in the grocery store line. Mm -hmm. You know that that that's great. That's 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 awesome, uh, uh, Rev. And uh, w one last question for you. And um, we're going to be wrapping up here. And this has been a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, um, episode. Um, You've provided some great insight, and I really, really appreciate you for that. I'm really honored to ha to have you here today. Uh, your your grandfather 
Bishop Emeritus Elias Escamilla, yeah. mighty man of God, mm-hmm. who, who recently passed away. I know he meant a lot to you. I, I, I saw a very powerful, profound picture him uh, that you, you had posted on, on, on Facebook where uh, he was in his hospital bed and, and I, I see you kind of crouched over and he's laying hands on you yeah. while he's, he's in a hospital. What a power. That's, if, yeah. if a picture's worth a thousand words, that's a million words right there. Yeah. Uh, different generations um, speaking blessing, covering, anointing. Um, that's such a powerful thing, and I, I I know that you and your family are, are you know are, are still grieving. But I to honor him, how would you describe that his impact on your life? I, I would say that, um, and I, I had the opportunity to share some words at his funeral, and. Um, you know, when I first started preaching out, my father told me, let everyone know who your grandfather is and, and do that pretty soon. Um, I, and, and it wasn't a name drop, but my dad gave me some wise advice that they're probably going to start taking, they'll, they'll take better care of you. They'll make sure that they, they treat you right. better when you get out there because sometimes you go out to preach, it's an experience. But anyway, right. not to digress, um, the feedback that they would tell me, these pastors would start sharing stories of my grandfather and my grandfather was an amazing preacher yes with all due respect not a good administrator so right. my grandfather started six churches wow but every time the church got too big and by too big Abraham, i'm talking about a little over 100 people he'd go start another church because he could preach the paint off the walls but i mean he he would not make a, a, a path. He would not make a great modern day pastor right. where all these pastors right. are trying to grow their church to mega church status. And that's right. a conversation for another day. But he he truly was just a preacher's preacher. And 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 what he wasn't in administration, uh, man, he was everything and, and gifted as a communicator. Um, he had a radio program in the '70s where he was wow. preaching on the radio program. And um, and so he just left me this legacy of preaching and prayer. We knew him as a prayer word. You know, I, I grew up in a time where, um, and, and I grew up in a church where even um, Christmas, um, not everybody celebrated Christmas in the church that I grew up in because it was like, that's a pagan holiday, what have you. And again, or with the Christmas tree, Christmas tree, all of that stuff, right? And, and see, that wasn't my upbringing. We did Christmas. But let me tell you about how my Christmas went. So Christmas for the Escamilla family is Christmas Day. We would get together. We would exchange all the gifts. Right. Then we'd go, and they would start playing Christmas carols on the piano, and my grandfather would play or my uncle would play. And we'd start off with, you know, Jingle Bells and Frosty. And then we'd transition into worship music, and we'd transition into worship music and start singing hymns and start worshiping God right there in the living room. And then we transitioned into where my grandfather would share some words with the family, and then we transitioned into prayer. So for me, growing, I mean, I'm talking about knockout, healing in the name of Jesus, people receiving blessing. This was Christmas to me. This was my context. So growing up, as soon as I was old enough to have this type of conversation and people would talk about Christmas being pagan, I'm sorry. I'm like, have you seen my family Christmas? Because people are, mm-hmm. are being filled with the Holy Spirit in wow. my context of Christmas. People are being healed in my context of Christmas. But that's because of my grandfather. Wow. He was a man of prayer. 
he was an orator of the word. And I, I, I feel like that is the legacy that he has left me. Everywhere I went, people talked about how great of a preacher he, he was, how much of a, a man of prayer he was. And, and, and man, if I can just get half of that stuff, man, I'm going to do more than all right. And so, you know, that's the legacy that my grandfather left me. I love him. I miss him. I got a picture in my office of him preaching, and that's been up for years. And, and, and it really is it's just an example to me of how I ought to do it. Wow. And, and I'm sure on a, on a personal level, he, he, he spoke into your life and just gave you um, words of advice, yeah. um, even prophetic words of, words of, of, of wisdom, whatever it may be. And I think it's important that no matter how high we go, the, the places that we re- reach, it's important to remember those that paved the way for us. Absolutely. Those that sowed into us because we didn't get there by ourselves. And and the reason why I brought up your uh, your your grandfather, because I know he was near and dear to you. But I think it's important that we we honor those people yeah. that generate that something about that generation. Yeah, there was just a, a heavy anointing, powerful um, preaching. It was they set the model for us so we can take it further and and. And as I was, uh, wanted to ask you about your grandfather, I started remembering about my grandmother, mm-hmm. Artemia Martinez, who never, never preached one sermon, mm-hmm. n- never taught a, a, a class, um, n- never was visible, but she left such a standard of Christian living in my life that she's been passed away for 12 years now that I think about it every single day that, you know, and it checks you and it really, really makes you, you know, really think about what you're doing and how you're doing things. And, and, and so I, I, I honor your grandfather. I, I did, I heard him preach a few times, so I honor him. And, and I also uh, honor my, my grandma and I, th- I thank her for the legacy that she gave, she left yeah. for me and for my family. And, and your, your family has a, has had a profound impact on uh, San Diego County, um, musician wise, uh, music wise, um, teaching preaching I know your, your father I, I know your father is, is, is a is a minister and and so what a powerful powerful legacy that uh, your grandfather Elias Escamilla has left and I and I just wanted to hear from you uh, just the impact that he made in, in in your life and so we're gonna we're gonna wrap up and and we're gonna end uh, I've asked uh, pastor Rev Herrera <laughs> if uh, for for a closing prayer as as we uh, close this episode and and uh, Rev Herrera would you take it away Absolutely can I just say one more thing before we pray and sure. I, and I hope that within the context of this conversation listeners you would have gotten this but listen uh, be you um, there was no model before me of a pastor who was an entrepreneur with coffee and wanted to be this yes. triathlete. Yes. And uh, if I'm if I'm 100% transparent, at some point I looked out and my peers didn't look like me. No. And I wondered if I was doing what I ought to do. Um, but listen, uh, go go your path. Yes. Let let God lead you. And so I know there's not a whole lot of triathletes who are pastors who are, you know, connoisseurs that are looking to start up their own business. And but but my God, uh, stop stop. Stop following a pattern or mold that you expect to follow and be who God called you to be. There doesn't need to be another one like me, but all I know is um, you have your own calling, and however that looks, go after that thing and don't feel that you have to fit some sort of mold. Yes. 
All right. After saying all that, let me bless you all. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to meet today. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity to share these words. Father, I pray that through this conversation, people will have a fresh sense of what life with you can be like. Father, I pray that as a result of this conversation, people will be lifted up. We've talked about church. We've talked about depression. We've talked about fitness. We've talked about all kinds of things, God. And at the center of all is you. And so, Father, I pray that to all the listeners that are out there, wherever they are, that they would first and foremost say yes to the call of God that is on their life. And that when they say yes, that they would not set any boundaries. There would be zero expectations of what that ought to look like, that the only expectation would be you. And Father, I also bless this podcast in your name. I pray for Abraham. I pray for every subsequent speaker. I pray, God, that your hand would be on this. Father, that your DNA would resonate through the airwaves. However this is heard, I pray that they would sense you, feel you, and know that you are speaking through it. We thank you, God, and we reverence all that you're going to do through this effort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And once again, what who you heard today is a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal speaker, Rev Herrera. He's the executive pastor at Lighthouse Church. You can follow Lighthouse Church at uh, on Instagram at go to Lighthouse, and uh, also uh, you can follow uh, Rev Herrera on Instagram at Rev Herrera, and uh, also you know check out his uh, if you want to get into uh, being a triathlete or even you know getting getting off the couch and doing doing something that you've never done before, uh, SB Multisport on Instagram. If there's anything you want to you wanna, uh, promote, you know, you're more than welcome, welcome to. But uh, um, this, is, uh, this is where they're at. So if you want to come to their service, you're more than welcome to come to, this, to, to uh, uh, Lighthouse Church. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Abraham. I, I won't say much more than that than I already have, but thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Amen. God bless.